Welcome to another episode of the Wall Street Bets podcast, where we talk about decentralized finance and democratizing DeFi to make it more accessible to everyone. One goal of our podcast series is to broaden our subjects and explore the greater landscape of dApps, NFTs, metaverse gaming, and all the facets of blockchain that are relevant right now to cultivate a more energized and informed community. Star Atlas co-founder and CEO Michael Wagner is a veteran of the blockchain space. He was born and raised in Las Vegas and began his career in traditional finance and capital markets before shifting full-time to blockchain in 2015. Wagner is also a longtime gamer, taking it back to the 90s when there was no such thing as broadband. During this time, he was part of a teen gaming group and began building his own computers out of necessity. Once introduced to Bitcoin, he later experimented with Bitcoin mining rigs and in 2016 conceptualized his first blockchain project, Tokes, where he met the co-founders of Star Atlas, Daniel Floyd, the Chief Product Officer, and Jacob Floyd, the Chief Technology Officer. Welcome to the show, Michael. Dina's super excited to be here. Look conversation. Yeah. So we got to spend a little bit of time in Miami. We both had respective events for Wall Street Bets and Star Atlas. There were a lot of conferences going on. Um, there are a lot of Art Basel conferences and also a lot of blockchain conferences. What were some of your takeaways and observations from that week? Yeah, it was um, an exhausting week, right? Um, a tremendous amount of events going on. Uh, really exciting time. It was a lot of fun as well. But, I, you know, I think for me, what was reaffirmed the most, um, and I did speak with a CNBC reporter about this as well, but, you know, crypto is absolutely taking the world by storm. And thinking about Miami Art Week and, and you know, what was at inception, you know, historically, this traditional art festival and series of events, it was now, now, maybe, you know, I spent time on that, those events that I intended to spend time at, but it was like 80% crypto, in my opinion, um, and less and less focused on the traditional art and culture world. So, um, I don't know, just very exciting time to be involved in crypto in general. Yeah, yeah, that was my observation as well. Like, I was, it was quite stunning. Um, I've attended Art Basel for about 10 years, minus the last two, and this was the first time that I sat down in, you know, every restaurant, every cafe, every party, and the, the conversation was completely dominated by crypto, by NFTs, by blockchain. And it, even amongst the art crowd, it was it was, it was was striking, kind of like unmissable. Um, but yeah, it was also a fun week, but yes, also exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talk a lot at WSB about the challenges of onboarding the masses to DeFi and the ongoing barriers to entry and constantly solving for how to bridge that gap to make this world that we share more accessible. So, you know, I'm not a gamer in any true sense, um, but this project has, captured my imagination. It's become, you know, a real touchstone in a landscape that can be somewhat dry, dense, technical, and occasionally esoteric. And there's obviously no shortage of interviews where you definitely articulate the technical aspects of Star Atlas. Mm -hmm. But I also want to switch it up a little bit and talk about, you know, some of the stories, some of the characters, etc. Um, but also, I just want to start with the team. It's clear that the team behind Star Atlas is bringing an incredible amount of passion to the game development, but it's also an unusual amount of expertise. Yeah, I'm, I feel extremely fortunate. Um, just you had mentioned two of the co-founders. There is a fourth co-founder. That's Pablo Quiroga. He's on the chief revenue uh, operation side of the business. So focused on things like communications and business development, strategic partnerships and the like. But, um, <clears throat> you know, my my background, I, I, we really just have formed kind of this dream team of of builders that all have an entrepreneurial mindset. We've all launched our own companies in the past, and now we've come together collectively on this concept of Star Atlas. And, and to your exact point, we all have areas of expertise that that uh, synergize to build what we think is a superior product across not only gaming, uh, blockchain gaming, but you know the incorporation of advanced economics and token economics into 
uh, into the Star Atlas metaverse. So um, my, you know, my background is really in economics, finance, um, uh, and then business development, structuring partnerships and building teams, launching companies. Uh, Danny, chief product officer, has you know 20 years plus in AAA game development, and uh, collectively with his brother launched a mobile game studio uh, that they worked on for eight years. They had some of the top grossing and top uh, downloaded games uh, in the App Store for uh, several years running. Um, Jacob, chief technology officer, you know, I don't know how, how in depth I can go here, but he's built an amazing team across web yeah. development, across web three, uh, um, DevOps, and then focused on, you know, really this, this next phase of development, which is uh, blockchain or on-chain program, smart contract development. And this is super critical for us, by the way, because one of the core differentiators of Star Atlas um, across all blockchain games, for that matter, is that we're not just focused on the integration of things like NFTs or even uh, crypto assets as part of the economy, but we're actually building the logic on chain. And the rationale for this is that in the long term, we want to fully decentralize the platform. We essentially turn this over to the world, and I've described the metaverse itself as this public utility. Everyone should have access to it. It should be inclusive, but it also should be a tool set for people to build, create, um, and, and become innovators within and build around it, right? And so the only way that we can accomplish the censorship resistance of a fully decentralized economy and metaverse is mm. if we build everything on chain. Now this is super ambitious and a lot of R&D is still going in, into exactly how we accomplish the decentralized infrastructure to, to host things like game servers. So it's not right. centralized, it's not run by us, but also enabling a future of uh, studios to build this uh, far beyond uh, when when we are no longer part of the project, right? I, I think of the yeah. metaverse as something that will evolve in perpetuity. And that's only possible if you can essentially turn it over and empower people and give people ownership, not only in the assets, but in the product itself. So, um, you know, forming this team of blockchain engineers is going to be critical in that vision. Um, and then, you know, again, Pablo, same thing is, is he's launched multiple companies. I've been involved with him on some of those companies and, and we have a longstanding relationship, but uh, we complement each other quite well. Uh, we all get along. There's no, you know, there's no infighting, which I think is, is great, um, especially in some of the success, but we're all very much aligned. Uh, we all believe in this vision and it's, it's, it's working out quite well. And um, that's the leadership team, but I am extremely grateful too, just for all of the passionate individuals across every department that we've been able to recruit. I mean, people that are spending 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day doing work with us, doing overnighters. I'm on calls with engineers where, you know, we've got to get something fixed and updated and we're, we're, you know, we're going to bed at eight in the morning and waking up at nine for the next, the next call. So uh, just to see that passion and enthusiasm behind the vision is so inspiring to me. And I'm really grateful for everyone on the team. How big is your team now? Yeah, so we're, we're over 200 people now. Um, and that, you know, that's predominantly on, uh, I would say maybe 40% of that is on the art uh, and creative side. Um, there's probably another like 20% that's on game development specifically. Um, you know, another 25, 30% in, uh, on the engineering team. And then the rest consists of essentially marketing comms and operations. Oh, that's, that's incredible. And, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you come across a lot of sort of startup games in this space and then you, you sort of ask about the team or ask about, you know, what's going on behind the scenes and it's like three guys and, right. you know, may, maybe they're hiring a couple devs offline, but you're like, how this is never going to achieve the thing that it's set to achieve. Um, you guys are taking some real risks in the scaling as well. Um, so it sounds amazing. It sounds, it sounds really, really cool. And I really want to compliment the art, the art direction on this. 
it's up there with the best Hollywood films and the best games that are out there in the in the sort of centralized world. So it's really really impressive. It's one of the you know it's the it's the thing that people see first, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's it's enabled us to attract a pretty sizable audience, um, you know, over the course of one year. Again, starting with essentially a community of zero up to one hundred and thirty thousand people in our Discord, two hundred fifty thousand on Twitter, another fifty thousand on Telegram. Um, part of it is you know even the white paper when we published the white paper, it was unlike anything that's been presented. I would say across yeah. crypto, and we've we incorporated art directly into the outline of the gameplay mechanics and financial incentives. So a uh, big credit to, to Danny and his team on, on, uh, the, on directing that art, as you said. Um, yeah. I, I also just w- wanted to point out very quickly in terms of recruiting and, and growth of the team, scalability of the team is that we're not slowing down at all. <laughs> we, um, uh, we brought on a new chief of HR at the beginning of October. And then uh, we're, we're filling that out with a recruiting division as well. And 30 to 40, of the people that are on the team now were brought on in the last two months. So wow. you know, by this time next year, fully anticipate being a team of 500 or 600 people focused on, on bringing this vision to life. Wow. And so Kelsey has his work cut yeah. out for him on the, yeah. on the HR front. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. Right I tried, I, I tried to sort of like onboard his definition of how you resource a project that's global in this way. And, and that is fundamentally crypto. And I, it was like, basically like it just blew my hair back and I, and I couldn't remember anything you said because it sounded, it sounded actually that challenging. But so I feel like people in blockchain will remember the world before Star Atlas and the world after Star Atlas. Um, you know, it does, it feels like a milestone in a fast paced and ever evolving landscape with a very young history. And what you're doing is pioneering and also likely to drive a new audience into this space that's historically just been very, very much about the tech. So what are your feelings about being among the first to launch such an ambitious gaming project? You know, again, just grateful. It's, it's, it's hard to take that external or third person perspective. A lot of times we've been very much immersed in, in building the product itself and just focused on how we bring this thing to life. Um, it's, it's, um, I, I, don't know exactly how to describe it. I'm just excited to be here. We're all mm-hmm. uh, very excited about the product that we're building. And for us, it's, you know, it's not about the money. It's, it's about the vision that we're bringing to life, the ethos, the ideology, um, you know, the philosophy of crypto, of decentralization and empowerment of the world. Uh, one of our, our slogan is, is essentially power to the people. Right? And like yeah. what, what we believe is we have a responsibility to bring this tool set to people that will only inspire additional innovation going forward. So um, and, and we've seen this, though, it, you know, across every essentially project, but but primarily protocol or kind of like layer one ecosystems. If you think of it in, in those terms, what Star Atlas, the metaverse is, is essentially a layer one ecosystem that people will be able to build on top of. So we've got the gaming uh, concept, which is an application that lives inside the metaverse. But then, you know, there's social experiences, concerts, art, culture, there's education, academies and universities, there's work opportunities, you know, work in virtual worlds. And by the way, of our 200 people, only, you know, three or four um, in any city exist in the same uh, geographic location. We operate across 21 countries in every time zone around the world. And so, I mean, our home base right now is Discord. And I can't wait for our home base to be inside the Star Atlas metaverse, right? Yeah. Um, but there's just so many um, other opportunities to create around this uh, as we go into the future. And uh, to me, that's that's one of the most exciting components of what we're building. Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds it sounds thrilling. What's the difference between the metaverse and the multiverse? So, it, I guess that's um, I, I think 
a metaverse i've never been asked that question before but i think that the the, the metaverse is probably an isolated i'm going to talk in terms of evolution so timeline wise right now we're in kind of like uh the multiverse model which consists of multiple metaverses that's the that's the multiverse so star atlas has a metaverse central land has a metaverse sandbox has a metaverse we all operate independently i do believe in the potential and and likelihood of interoperability in the future though there's many many challenges underlying interoperability not only from the protocol standpoint but also from art creative modeling uh mm-hmm. side of the business as well but um yeah so so right now we're kind of all in isolated metaverses that make up the multiverse in the future at some point though through interoperability uh the metaverse will kind of encompass everything and we'll all exist in that and it'll be easy to uh transport yourself from one experience to the next from one virtual world and universe to the next and that that to me is the true definition of the metaverse amazing and can you also just describe for the audience what a walled garden is it's it's a term that comes up a lot when people speak about them the, it's a question we get actually a lot in our own community when people speak about the metaverse you know so walled garden essentially describes an approach wherein all of the intellectual property is completely protected isolated and um contribution any ter- any form of external contribution is essentially prohibited um so it's it's protecting yourself with a wall um, surrounding you as an entity. Um, so kind of tearing down those walls. The the first step of this is uh, has been demonstrated through crypto since inception with Bitcoin, which is open source technology. So anybody can download the source code and modify the source code and build something um, on top of that. That's what led to the creation of altcoins in general, right? The yeah. first altcoins to come out were nothing more than a fork of Bitcoin with some modified economic components or, you know, speed of the blockchain or transaction processing time or, you know, modifying uh, the consensus algorithm, things like this. Um, and, and so in very much the same way, you know, we're ultimately looking at ways that we can enable creators to benefit and profit off of um, the tool set that we're building that is the metaverse without trying to uh, hoard all of that or collect all of that ourselves. Thank you for the explanation. That's perfect. I can actually see, see some responses in the comments like, thank you. So many great writers and philosophers have talked about space as the ultimate rendering of our infinite imagination. We got a lot of information in that teaser, the trailer that we looked at earlier, but can you talk a little bit more about the story's narrative? Uh, well, let me maybe just use um, kind of an example of, uh, we worked with Jason Silva on, mm-hmm. during our rebirth campaign. Uh, he was a he was a voice overlay on some of the posters that we released, and he he gives this quote. Uh, I, I want to say it's Marina Benjamin, and he says, "When we dream of space, we dream of transcendence, and we dream of what we might become." And I get chills like every time I hear that, and every time I feel that. But it's you know I think humans in nature are adventurous and explorers, and there's a reason why we've essentially conquered all of the lands of the world as it exists today. And the next um, generation of that is the exploration of space. But, you know, we're constrained by, uh, by physics, by physical reality. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, another thing that Jason talks about is kind of um, uh, uh, inward expansion and outward expansion. So outward expansion is, is traversing and, and exploring physical space. Inward expansion is now we can eliminate all of the confines of physics itself and we can create new universes that ex- essentially live within our own imagination. 
Um, so I don't know if that answers your question about story and lore, but I think it does speak to a little bit about kind of the potential of why these metaverses are just so powerful. And especially when you build these in um, hyper-realistic, fully immersive worlds like we're doing in Unreal Engine. And this technology is only going to get better in the future with better AR and better VR and haptic suits where you actually get a sense of physical touch. Um, when we start to explore and emerge into these technologies, it will, you know, your reality uh, your digital reality will almost be indiscernible from physical reality. Wow. Wow. No, perfectly answered. Will there be heroes and villains? Well, um, we, so, so, you know, speaking specifically to gameplay mechanics, we have a mm -hmm. three, three faction system throughout the game. So there's the mud, which is this human race. Oni is like a series of alien races. And then the okay. Usur, which is a sentient Android uh, species. And, um, but, uh, you know, despite that, there's, there's, um, you can kind of operate as any one of the races and any one of the factions, but the idea was that they're constantly at war. And so borders and territories are expanding and contracting based on where people are initiating, um, uh, you know, kind of objectives, missions and attacks. Um, throughout the universe. And the reason why it's a, a three-faction system is we're able to introduce kind of that Rochambeau-style um, gameplay uh, mm -hmm. or rock, paper, scissors, right? Everybody always has an advantage, but always has a disadvantage. And so you have to be um, pretty strategic and careful in how you execute across the game uh, because there's, you always have a weak point. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Um, I think I joined the Oni faction, so I think I am an alien. <laughs> um, and uh, given there are no shortages of boulders in space, can you go rock climbing in Star Atlas? <laughs> that would be really cool. There is a virtual reality uh, rock climbing game, which I've never never personally played. Um, but uh, I, I suppose any type of experience can be created. That's that's a pretty generic answer. But you know, to my point earlier about mm -hmm. anything is possible, um, whether we create that or not, somebody probably will, and right. will give reason. Uh, they'll find ways to um, uh, commercialize that process. Or maybe they'll just do it out of fun and out of passion and bring it into Star Atlas. And that might be a new cohort of users that are attracted to the metaverse, not through gaming, not through crypto, not through financial incentives, but because now they can experience digital rock climbing inside Star Atlas. So I think it'd be a really cool concept. I mean, what better boulders to climb? And so, Although, in our gravity is the question, though, right? <laughs> climbing is fun because of the <laughs> gravity pulling you down to earth. But. Yeah, I guess that's what the straps are for, right? Um, so, are, are you calling the players of this game Atlassians, or what is the, what is the term Atlassians referred to? Uh, we're not anymore. That was kind of the initial term. Um, we got to cease and desist on that. There's a, there's already a, an entity out there that uses that Atlassian terminology. So we just call them um, uh, meta citizens of the metaverse, Star Atlas citizens. Yeah. And so for anyone that's coming to this, you know, for the first time, that, that's sort of switching on to it for the first time, um, you know, who's wanting to understand more about the story, it seems to me, having spent some time in the marketplace and kind of actually like, you know, read the background of some of, some of the NFTs, that there's, there is a lot of lore already built into that. And there are these sort of like Easter eggs and different sorts of like red herrings and story devices that are slowly being revealed through the NFT marketplace. Is that intentional, deliberate? That was very deliberate. Um, yeah. it, it's still an area that we're, <clears throat> we're working at reinforcing and, you know, we're bringing in excuse me, content writers um, and, and, and authors, like sci-fi authors, mainstream sci-fi authors, we're bringing them in to uh, further refine what that looks like. But, um, you know, one of the, the core motivations um, during our launch of Rebirth, that digital art uh, uh, 
multimedia meta poster campaign, which ran from April through July, was um, also to be able to reveal on a weekly basis a little bit more of the background and story of how we got to where we are in Star Atlas. Um, and we really define Star Atlas. It's it's in the year 2620, but it's an extension of our physical reality today. So we we want people to feel like this is just the evolution of the human species into deep space, and, and Star Atlas is the next phase of that. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm glad you also said it so far in the future that we're not going to be asking in five years, like, where's my hoverboard? Like, what happened to all that stuff? Um, so yeah. you've also, so you've hinted at the at the stakes of this world being very high and the environment very hostile. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like part of that's to expose the players to a certain amount of risk that they might not be used to in their everyday life. And the inference being that the heart of this game is primal in its nature and in such a way that might serve the, the actual human spirit. Um, can you can you talk about that about about the hostility about the intensity um, in terms of just the level of play? Yeah, the intention there is to to satisfy those levels of um, adventure in any particular player or user. So we actually have safe zones as well, though. Um, <clears throat> everybody will land in a safe zone as a neutral zone as we describe them, and uh, these are central space stations. You know, we want people to get a sense of comfort with navigation, with the controls, go through some tutorials, understand a bit about how the game is played. But uh, once people start to develop out expertise and experience in, in navigating, then, you know, what is enjoyable for people is being able to consistently challenge themselves. And if you if you don't have that next challenge it starts to get boring right and so uh, going from the safe zone you can explore out into this medium risk security zone wherein uh pvp is possible destruction of assets where they can be taken offline and your ship can be destroyed but you respawn Uh, but then there's the 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 high risk very high reward area of space which is where all of the best resources, the rarest minerals, the rarest materials, the most valuable assets will all exist. And uh, we've introduced a, a hardcore mode to the game, which is permadeath. So wow. if, your, if your ship gets destroyed out in deep space, it, it actually gets permanently off chain. And um, right now, the method, uh, the intended method or, or the expected method of executing on that is to essentially have users move assets into a smart contract on on-chain program when they enter into deep space. So it moves into an escrow account. And then based on the outcome of a particular event, um, you know, destruction occurs, the winner of that engagement gets to recapture some of the economic value of the assets that were lost of the other player. So capturing it, um, uh, crew members that were in an escape pod or capturing uh, resalvaging a hull or components and modules that were on that ship. Um, so we think that that should be, it's fun. It's not, uh, nobody's obligated to go into uh, deep space, but we also think that that's where some of the biggest collectives of players or the guilds will also be operating because the, the resources and rewards out there are substantial. Wow. Can you die in Star Atlas? I don't know if I want to re- um, reveal anything about this. We're actually talking about an aging process, though, character aging process. Yeah. And we're also talking about the ability to reproduce um, mm-hmm. and kind of mint new NFTs based on that process. Okay. Interesting. I'll, I'll stay tuned. Um, yeah. Can your avatar fall in love in Star Atlas? I, I don't know that your avatar will, but I have um, um, many firsthand experiences of people falling in love in massively multiplayer online games and actually getting married in these, um, in these games. So I played Asheron's call a long time ago. I saw a marriage take place in Asheron's call. Um, also, you know, world of Warcraft, this has happened many, many times. So human emotion is real. 
you know, just because it's a, a digital representation of the world doesn't mean that real human emotion doesn't exist there. Yeah, this is this was a big thing in um, in Second Life as well of people meeting online and getting married in in that metaverse. That that was I and mean, it's crazy how long ago that feels like now. I'm sure there will be dating apps that probably exist inside of, you know, post an image of either your avatar or, you know, your real person. And, and there's dating boards and you can go meet in uh, one of the lounges that exists on one of the space stations and you can have a conversation and have some digital drinks and uh, <laughs> see if a spark is uh, created there. Yeah, yeah, that sounds exciting. And then let's talk about the role of music. So your yeah. NFTs, most of them feature music. You know, obviously, like this is a multifaceted project. There's AR. There's there's a lot of different different visual and oral facets that aren't that aren't normally associated with something like this. Um, what does the role of music mean for Star Atlas, or how are you guys looking at it? The yeah, so the um, the music that you're referring to um, was probably associated with the Rebirth campaign initially, mm-hmm. and the the purpose there was to create a deeper sense of immersion. Um, so for anyone that's not familiar, again, that's the it was a 14 poster campaign. We unveiled lore. Uh, we created all the concept art in house. We enhanced that with augmented reality. And then we partnered with um, uh, major producers and performers like Blondish and Bass Shackers and Dead Mouse. And mm-hmm. uh, we created these audio soundscapes to uh, kind of underlay the, the art itself. And so when you would scan the QR code, not only does the image come to life in 3D, um, there's some really cool. Uh, um, posts on social media that people have shared from all over the world of like interacting with the, with these posters. But, um, you know, music brings you into the moment and that was the idea with rebirth. Now, um, in very much the same way, the, the, the production score that will exist in star Atlas will, will bring you a deeper sense of immersion into the universe. Um, there is one additional component though, and that's that, you know, people like to listen to their own music and everybody has a different musical taste. And so, you know, looking at integrations of decentralized music distribution platforms like Audius, for example, mm-hmm. um, and bringing that into your audio deck on your ship where you can just kind of sort through and, and, and select songs and build a playlist that you want to listen to as you traverse the stars. Those are all components that we're uh, looking to integrate in the future. That sounds incredible. And um an interesting use case for Audius as well, because I think you know, it's obviously an exciting project. I think they're working with, was it, TikTok? But I think, you know, people are, are still sort of hovering around waiting to see what comes next with that. So that's that could be a very cool thing. Massive user base, too. I The last I checked, they were at something like four million monthly active users. And it's probably double that by now. I don't I don't know. But it's uh, they've, they've done a great job and it's a very successful platform. So let's jump into the game economy. I don't underestimate for a minute what it must take to sit around and figure out how a game economy works. It sounds incredibly challenging and complex, um, especially when you're doing it in a decentralized fashion. So can you just talk to us a little bit about how you guys, you know, came, came to River, how you're still developing that aspect of it? Yeah, this is, it's a, it's a process that's very evolutionary and iterative. Um, game economies, by the way, uh, this is so much more complex than just a game economy because what we're creating is essentially a nation state, um, you know, sovereign nation state with its own native digital currency. And plus we have the the governance aspects of it and governance token. Uh, but this ability for the economy to escape the metaverse itself and enter into the real world through directly through DeFi through decentralized exchanges, centralized exchanges, which actually, you know, interact with real world economies as well. 
and I, there's probably at least one segment of that that I want to expand on, but um, it's, it, the, the first step was kind of to define what the token economics look like. Um, how do we drive utility and value and balance between each of the two different uh, tokens that exist within our ecosystem? And then we look at, um, okay, well, how do we determine um, uh, emission rates based on activities that users are engaged in? Now, a lot of this is, is um, kind of subjective because we don't actually have any testing of gameplay itself right now. So mm -hmm. what is yet to be determined is how are people engaging with the game? What are the emissions rate based on, based on various gameplay mechanics? And then how does how do we start to rebalance that over time to kind of ensure that there's a proportional distribution based on various activities? Um, one of the things that I think is super exciting is our uh, uh, mining or, or, uh, or extraction gameplay loop, which goes into this entire crafting loop, which leads to the creation of new NFTs, but, um, you know, what many governance, uh, governments in the real world have done wrong is hyperinflate their economies. And this is also one of the major pitfalls of uh, traditional game economies is that, you know, there's just infinite and, and uh, hyperinflation across the economy and games, because every time a new player joins, there is no restriction on the number of items that can be dropped for them. So right. they kill a monster and they collect either gold or they collect a sword or some clothes that they then go and sell to the merchant. Well, that mints new currency every time that happens. And so in Star Atlas, that dynamic will not exist. Items are finite in nature, as well as the distribution of Atlas and Polis over time is finite in nature. So um, yeah, it does get extremely complex. I mean, we're, we're making essentially our best assessment right now as to how to, how to deliver this in its infancy. But going forward, there's going to be an enormous amount of rebalancing um, and restructuring that takes place. Last part that I would mention on it is that the DAO itself, the Star Atlas Master DAO, you know, is going to be incremental in uh, decision making around the economy of the universe. Um, so not in the not in the immediate term, but as we decentralize more and more over time, we get kind of the benefit of collective consciousness and thinking um, and expertise across areas like economics uh, to decide how best to implement the structure in the future. Wow. So for anyone who's who's new to this, anyone who's coming, who's arriving at this actually through DeFi and not necessarily through through the sort of gaming community, can you give a quick overview of you have a master DAO and then you have sub DAOs, as I understand it. And then there are also guilds, which to mm -hmm. anyone who's not a gamer is, is a new concept, but sounds like a really intrinsic aspect of this of this project. Yeah, the, the, so the Master DAO it kind of determines the long-term design and development of the metaverse itself. Um, so that's impactful on things like asset release schedules, general economic uh, decision making, inflation rates uh, around feature releases or feature requests. Um, <clears throat> so the through the Master DAO, governors or stakeholders are able to not only earn polis, um, but but proposals will be submitted. The community votes on the proposals and the outcome of that decision is something that we would implement or integrate as a development studio. Um, it also means that in the distant future, uh, it would be possible for the DAO to actually employ additional studios to build features for the game itself. Now, we do want to ensure that there's some like quality standards in place um, and, and an actual framework that people need to build within so that there's consistency across the universe. But I'm just suggesting that in the distant future, it would be possible to vote in and employ um, through the treasury of the DAO some studio to build out some specific feature. Again, I think this wow. is very cool because then it means that that 
the world, the community is not reliant exclusively on us to build every single aspect of the game. And it's also right. one of the benefits of operating across, um, say, like Solana, where there's all this innovation going on in DeFi. We don't have to innovate and create all of the protocols that we're going to build in. Things like lending right. protocols and liquidity pools, AMMs, and insurance policies, all of which would be you know valuable to our users, those are already being worked on. And all we have to do is integrate that in to our user interface in some way. And now we further empower players with that tool set. Um, so that's kind of the master DAO. And then within the game, it uh, related mostly to political strategy. Uh, we have faction DAOs, we have regional DAOs, and then we have uh, the guilds, which we call decentralized autonomous corporations. Um, of those three, what has been the most ex exciting to watch uh, develop is this creation of guilds, the formation of guilds, and the way that they're thinking strategically about operating in the game. Uh, decentralized autonomous corporation is actually pretty reflective of the way that these operators are putting together their groups. These are not just collectives of gamers. These are people right. that are thinking about how do I operate with the highest efficiency and greatest profitability inside this game, and how do we get there? And they're even going out right now and raising capital. They're minting their own NFTs. Right. You know, they're running their own town halls. They're minting their own digital currencies. Right. They're using those funds to buy Star Atlas assets. And then, you know, with, with the anticipation of being able to play and earn from that. So, um, yeah, just a really cool watching that that part of the process evolve. And it yeah. happened organically. We didn't even yeah. have a build channel in our Discord. Um, this is in, in February. Um, and uh, uh, we, there's a guy who goes by Christian on there that said hey can we create a guild recruiting channel and so we did and now there's you know 50 60 guilds building around star atlas so just happened wow. yeah. 50 or 60. Yeah. um yeah i know i was reading i was reading about one in particular that spent like millions of dollars acquiring ships mm -hmm. that uh to use in the game which made me suddenly feel like is it is it safe to enter alone <laughs> can you can you go into star Atlas, or are you better off actually teaming up with people I think it's a, a build your own adventure. Again, there is mm. the safe zone, with, which is also accompanied by the lowest risks. But I also think <clears throat> that the metaverse itself is intended to be a social experience and, and massively multiplayer online games are inherently social. So, yeah. what, you know, if you're playing an MMO, you're usually a part of some player group and you're completing missions and quests together. You would never be able to accomplish these like end game objectives individually, yeah. do, do so with other players. So it, it's pretty consistent with the way that most MMOs work. Yeah. And I was telling you that I, you know, spent a few hours in the marketplace the other night and came out with a cat because I couldn't decide what spaceship to buy. <laughs> and I'm curious, you know, again, because that's the NFT marketplace is really, you know, some of the, one of the first aspects of this to get introduced, how anyone coming to this, you know, newly would look at that marketplace and navigate it to say, oh yeah, that's, I mean, because the, the ships, I mean, some of them are very accessible and some of them are already, you know, listed at six figures um, to deciding which to buy. And how to navigate that, and how many you need. You know, how how would you advise someone new who wants to play but doesn't have that much experience? I, I wouldn't really advise on like what what to buy in particular. I mean, I think um, we're trying to provide and present as much information as possible so people can make informed decisions. Um, with that said, though, a lot of this is still early stages and subject to change anyway. Um, really, um, the first step would be for 
the participant to decide how do they think they want to engage with Star Atlas? Do they do they want to be the CEO of a corporation? Do they want to be a data runner and space explorer or you know go find salvage out in space? Do they want to be someone who just exists and operates on a space station? Or do they want to be a miner, you know, and extract ore from the planet and then own a fleet of um, of shipping freighters so that they can transport those materials safely around the world. But um, it, it's it's super difficult to make any recommendation for any given player because the objectives and motivations of everyone is so different. Okay, so it's very personal, it's very nuanced, and it's probably a little bit about self-discovery and figuring out how you fit into this metaverse yourself. It is, and I, you know, I made this um, I, I, a, almost a cryptic comment many, many months ago now where people, you know, were consistently asked, like, when is the game coming out? When is it, when, when's the game ready? Um, and in so many ways, though, the game has already started. And whether that was through, you know, working with these guilds and forming community and, and discovering and, and kind of forming strategy um, or looking at exactly what you're talking about, you know, you got a little bit overwhelmed looking at the amount of ships and assets that were available in the marketplace. But, you know, the gamers love theory crafting. That's a, that's a big component of the fun. It's like, how do I, um, how do I configure my loadout? And that yeah. will be not only at the ship level, but even at the fleet level where you, you, you're going to have assets that are complementary and kind of doing that almost statistical analysis and, and theory crafting on what you play as is part of the fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see the people who are new to DeFi and new to gaming navigating this. I think the gamers are going to get it right away. Um, I think some of the more seasoned DeFi people will like, it, you know, take to it like ducks to water. There's me who comes out with a cat, but I'm sure that in time, you know, it, it'll, I'll pick it up. So let's talk a little bit about the game technology. Obviously, at this point in time, Solana feels like a match made in heaven. It's had an amazing year as a it's a blockchain. Um, you know, there's a lot of development happening on it now. But, you know, when you would have taken that first step and decided to build on Solana, that was an ecosystem that didn't have a lot of creative development happening on it, didn't really have much for NFTs, let alone gaming. The ecosystem is obviously a huge part of any blockchain in terms of its value. So did you have any reservations or how did you arrive at that decision? You know, I was um, I got introduced to uh, Solana through a podcast that I was listening to that SBF was on, Sam Bankman-Fried, co-founder of FTX, co-founder yeah. of, or, or founder of Alameda Research. And yeah. um, he was a folk hero. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In Sam, we trust. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he was actually on a podcast talking about Project Serum, which is the decentralized exchange protocol that lives on Solana. And so I was able to uh, kind of extract a lot of information about uh, why he was, uh, um, he thought that Solana was promising and um, that endorsement went a long way um, in kind of encouraging me to look more deeply into what Solana was. But, um, you know, certainly when we did that research, the tech, um, starting with the consensus algorithm, which is pretty unique, uh, proof of history, kind of the, the uh, uh, delegated proof of stake type system, uh, that was pretty novel, highly scalable, low transaction cost and low latency. So um, subsecond finality on state changes. Um, that last point was pretty critical for us because we're building a game, we're building the logic on chain. And if you are a gamer, you, one of the things you hate the most is when you experience lag during gameplay. It's, you know, lag is kind of defined as you take an action, but you don't actually see that action um, affected on screen until after the fact. Right. right. And so, you know, that leads to people getting killed and it leads to <laughs> just frustration with the experience. And so to the extent possible, we wanted to minimize the latency, you know, something like Ethereum, for example, you, click 
send transaction and it, it might take a minute or it might take 20 minutes, that would, that would never work for us. Plus the costs are significantly higher. So anyway, that, I mean, we saw the tech as being very promising. It had some institutional endorsements. Um, yes, we were early to the ecosystem, but we saw that as being, uh, um, also beneficial to us and that we could be mutually beneficial or symbiotic with one another. Um, mm-hmm. We could, uh, they helped us bootstrap our initial community and user base, but on the flip side, they fully appreciated that what we're building, mainstream gaming, bringing it on chain, could also sh- attract millions to billions of users to Solana. Right. And it, I do believe that it's one of the things, uh, like mainstream gaming certainly will do that. I, ha- I don't have a question about that. and. You know, in terms of competitiveness, like will one chain survive or will it be many hundreds of chains that are just simply interoperable? Probably the latter. But um, Ethereum's advantage right now of being a first mover is um, rapidly in question when you talk about bringing billions of users to blockchain with their first experience being on something like Solana. So if that's their first experience and they see how efficient and seamless and, and fluid it is, and then they go to Ethereum and they try to make the same transaction and say, oh, wait, I, I have to spend $100 instead of one penny, and it takes 20 minutes instead of instant, um, you know, I, don't, I think that there's no no real question there. But not that I'm a, an Ethere- uh, hater of Ethereum, by the way. Right. <laughs> I right. think it's a great project, a great protocol, and it, it certainly has its utility and use cases. But um, for our particular application, Solana was better. Right. For, for a global game that might attract billions of users, That's right. you, you need high throughput. Yeah, so you seem to be refreshingly frank about timelines as they relate to reality. Yeah. You recognize the ambition of this project. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about how long it took you to incubate this project as a team before you even began, you know, moving into a more public realm with it? The the whole project has moved at light speed. It's pretty um, pretty amazing reflecting back. So I, I think I mentioned we just started conceptualizing this in mid twenty twenty. And so what that meant was um, kind of laying out what the gameplay mechanics, the gameplay pillars would look like, start designing the economics and token economics, um, you know, creating the white paper and creating a, a presentation deck of what it is that we wanted to bring to the public. Um, and so over the second half of 2020, we completed all of that. We essentially completed a roadmap that we thought we would be able to um, deliver on and, and presented that and close um, just um, some initial capital through a token sale. And, you know, we're fortunate FTX, uh, the team at FTX was was the team that actually closed that seed round. Yeah. We debuted to the public in January and, and made an announcement around the seed. And um, the interest following that was overwhelming. In fact, you know, um, Pablo and I, for the subsequent two to three months, were just buried in phone calls with interest in getting access to uh, what we were building. So that was kind of how we spent wow. our, our first three months of the year. But, you know, thinking back over the course of the year, yes, I, I, um you know, we want to get the game out too, but we've had many, many accomplishments. You know, even just thinking like growing the team to 200 people from yeah. four in one year is amazing. You know, generating hundred plus million dollars in revenue over the course of the year is amazing. Launching one of the first NFT marketplaces, the really first robust NFT marketplace on Solana before yeah. some of the other tooling existed like Metaplex, um, you know, token generation event, game economic paper, launch of the galactic asset offering. All of these things were major milestones for us over the course of the year. And now we get to focus next year on really just, let's just continue building um, the concept in the game. Have you slept? Uh, I don't know if you can see the bags <laughs> under my eyes. Uh, it's been, it's been light on sleep this year. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds intense. It sounds really intense, but also, you know, anytime you're doing something of this scale and ambition, 
it's to be expected. So both Hollywood and big tech have made clear their intentions to move into metaverse plays. I think some of those probably more genuine than than others in terms of you know, really embracing what the metaverse is or can be. But you have Facebook, obviously, you have Disney, um, and you have a war between Tarantino and Miramax over who gets to, you know, distribute his NFTs, which is, I think, probably going to be a pretty interesting IP case as it plays Mm -hmm. out. As a truly decentralized project, and it's, you know, it really is incredible to hear you talk about all the considerations that you've, you've taken on board with this. And to really, really maximize and leverage what blockchain is. And I think this it, very much in the spirit of blockchain, as opposed to it just being another technology that you use or, or a community that you exploit, but actually to, you know, to really lean into what that is down to its philosophical core. How do you, how do you navigate getting approached by, you know, I'm sure you guys have been approached by some major players and, you know, big tech and Hollywood, you know, protecting the sanctity of what you're doing. And how do you navigate the conversations where I can I can easily picture, you know, a studio like Disney or a Netflix or whatever saying, how can we buy this without really understanding the implications of what it means? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll tell you, we're, we're not for sale, <laughs> first and foremost. And, and once again, yeah. kind of all, all the co-founders are aligned on that. We're aligned with delivering this um, per the ethos that we've outlined um, in the past. Uh, we've also been able to introduce a lot of novel and unique revenue streams and and uh, kind of perpetual cash flows that will flow into us as a result of the way that we've structured token economics and, and the Star Atlas DAO. So um, we don't really have a necessity to ever go public per se. We don't need to IPO. Um, that's not to say that we would turn down uh, uh, capital for private equity in, in the company, but not to the extent that it diminishes our, our internal governance powers around how we build the product. So um, that's all super, super important to us, and we're not going to compromise on that. So, I mean, that's all I can really say right now. And in terms of, you know, um, diluting the brand through the integration of uh, advertising or, or external intellectual property, we're open to it, but but it has to be tactful. Um, yeah. you know, we're, we're still in such an early phase that it's important to us to emphasize and focus on the Star Atlas brand and not on some of this other mainstream IP that that is coming to us. Um, you know, one of the cool things that we did execute on was uh, working with the Neil Armstrong estate during the, this was during the rebirth campaign, but we call you know, as part of the Armstrong series, uh, 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 I'm actually blanking on the name of the series, but it was the Armstrong poster. And we had an opportunity to work with the Neil Armstrong estate um, indirectly uh, with SpaceX on the Falcon 9 launch of a satellite that was coordinated through um, Space Force. So this was like real world implementation and integration of NFTs into an actual physical launch of a satellite into space. And now that, that was a fun, that was a fun project for us. And, and again, I think it's consistent with our ethos and ties in closely with, um, with, with the concept of the game. Yeah, that is incredible. You know, I think anything that sort of ties into things that are tactical and real, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's SpaceX, whether it's Space Force, NASA, you name it, it's, it, it, it brings, I think, just such credibility to the project and, and speaks to the fact that, you know, people really want to partner with you in the real world, even if they don't necessarily understand the underpinnings of blockchain. Yeah. Um, no, and, and I mean, to be honest, the it should still be an open space for public brands yeah. as well. It's just a question of when, right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, th- this is the new digital medium. It, I do yeah. think the metaverse is kind of, so Web3 is the future of the web and metaverse is the future of Web3. Um, yeah. So we're, they're, they're, being developed out uh, in synchronicity, but I, I, you know, definitely without question, that's where I see the the future going. And 
like virtual world experiences. And sure, you know, mainstream brands should have the ability to operate inside Star Atlas just like anyone else. It's, it's just a question of when. All right. So you have some, um, some big dates coming up soon, some new developments, some things releasing. Can you talk to us about what's happening over the course of the next two months? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, um, well, the next two months, um, kind of relatively short timeline, but I would say that the two major projects that we've been focused on over the past three months now uh, includes the first mini game feature. Um, I don't know that I really discussed this much, but um, in addition to building Metaverse and this AAA quality game, uh, we're also bifurcating essentially the development process into a mini game, which is in browser, and then also you know working in the full production of the fully immersive world in Unreal Engine. Um, the the mini game uh, accomplishes many things for us, but to develop faster, first of all, uh, we get to test out all of the on-chain mechanics and financial mechanisms that we're building in, um, and we provide the players with true utility of the NFTs that they're buying, so their ability to earn sooner while we continue to build in the fully immersive world. Um, so the first feature of that is coming out, and right now we it's it's still a target date. Um, we have a public roadmap, uh, the, which consists of target dates or confirmed dates. Um, target dates are those are objectives, those are you know uh, stretch goals. But once we release the confirmed date, then you know that that's when it's coming. So uh, I'll have more information on the actual confirmed date by the end of today, okay. but uh, which is you know the next five or six hours. But uh, yeah, right now we're targeting December sixteenth. And so players will be able to take their ship NFTs and list those to the faction, manage a variety of resources, and earn Atlas as a result of that. Um, the other major project we've been focused on is delivering the governance protocol. And so that's the Star Atlas Master DAO. Um, the first version of this is, is likely to come out early January, but it will really consist of Polis staking and, and the ability to earn emissions on Polis. Uh, and then that will um, further evolve into the actual governance with a proposal and voting system in place. And so I don't have a definitive timeline on the proposal system yet, but you know, that's, it's going to continue to be a major area of focus and, and um, kind of further fulfills our obligations of decentralization and decentralized decision-making. Um, I'll just go into kind of the end of Q1 or early Q2, which a lot of people are very excited about. And that's the first iteration of our fully immersive world. Uh, we call it the showroom module and um, the idea is that this is the first opportunities for players, uh, first opportunity for players to join Star Atlas in Unreal Engine, experience their ships uh, and models in real scale, explore the inside of the ship, configure ships, purchase more NFTs, send those out on missions, and otherwise just start to hang out and socialize with other people in these virtual environments. I think I'll leave it with that. We, we do have one other concept that's associated with the virtual world that we're building in the showroom that will enable external developers to leverage that and build upon Star Atlas, but I'm not, I'm not going to reveal too much more than that right now. Hmm. All right. I might try to trick you into telling it later. <laughs> and what's, what's the latest development with, um, with the structure? Is structure is the next NFT collection that's coming out? That's right. Yeah. So the the general roadmap for the mini gameplay is um, ship commissions. We have a tier system. All of the land and, and items and everything are anywhere from tier zero to tier five. So we call score, which is this first module, uh, tier zero. That then that moves into land development with mining equipment, farming equipment, and then um, orbital space stations. Uh, the uh, the in browser three-dimensional explorable map of the entire universe, which is really the namesake, 
it is the star atlas, the map of the universe. And um, so that's kind of the next step. And then we, we progressively update all of those features over time. So ship missions level one, land level one, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing. I've noticed we're getting a lot of comments asking about the, um, the structures. In your view, what is the relationship between metaverse and consciousness? And do you think there's an inherent relationship between cannabis and crypto? Wow. I mean, let me just answer the latter one first, given um, <laughs> obviously the, the first company I launched, Tokes, was at the intersection of crypto and cannabis. Um, I think uh, kind of ideologically, they're very much aligned. You kind of have these renegades and these rogues that are, you know, they it was something that they believed in. People believe in cannabis as medicine and, and therapeutic and good for mental health. Um, I'm, I'm aligned with that. I think that they were um, you know, considerably disadvantaged through the federal legalization or rather illegalization of, of this plant material, right? And so um, it was one of the reasons why we focused on bringing the philosophy of decentralized financial solutions to that industry. Um, that said, it was actually proved to be more challenging <laughs> than, I, than I ever thought it would be because of compliance and regulations. But um, so I, I do think that crypto and cannabis are kind of natural uh, symbiotic partners. Um, metaverse and consciousness in uh, I think in in so many ways yes because it's it's this inner exploration of our mind um, that we're able to accomplish through virtual worlds would I say consciousness I don't know you you, you got me on that one I might have to dodge a little bit um, uh oh yeah this is, your, this is maybe your third dodge so this is the final dodge but um, I'll accept three it strikes, three strikes but nine <laughs> not anyway so yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience about the project, about yourself, about um, anything that's coming down the pipeline? You know, I feel like that was really good coverage. I'm, um, you know, we, we are just super excited about um, the progress that we've made over the course of the year. Next year is going to be even bigger and better. Uh, I can't wait to see some of these, uh, these, these projects that we've been working on come to fruition and become available to the community. But outside of that, I'm, uh, you know, very grateful for the community that we formed and the support that we've seen to date and just uh, the passion that exists out there around what it is that we're building. So amazing. Well, I'm really excited for you guys. I, I've just, just applaud all of the efforts so far. It's really, really a spectacular project. Awesome. Um, Thank you so much. To, really, really great conversation with you. I'm glad we were able to connect in Miami a bit and, uh, yeah, enjoy the discussion today. Yeah, yeah, same. So we're going to let you go, but thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. Awesome. Thank you. Anytime. We'll do it again uh, sometime early next year, I think. All right. Sounds great. All right. Uh, see everyone next week.